Father, we thank you that you are a wonderful and just great God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you that we can come to this place in, in perfect freedom. Prepare our hearts now and we pray for an anointing on the message which uh, Duncan will bring to us. What he says today in this service, may it glorify your name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for that prayer. Friends, um, if you have your Bible there, you know, uh, if you had a, received a Bible on the way in, there'll be a bookmark where we're up to. We're reading through um, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian church. It's part of the New Testament of the Bible. Um, there's a bookmark in our church Bibles where that's at, but it'll also come up on the screen, so you can follow it along there. Uh, I'm going to read... Um, the first two verses of chapter 4. And then I'm going to skip over the verses we read through last week and jump down to verse 9. That should be what's on the screen as well, but just to let you know. So um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, and then down to verse 9. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is God's word to us this morning, friends. <clears throat> well, most of you will know something of, my, um, something of my back issues over the last year, well, the last sort of six months or so. I hope I'm on the tail end of them, and, but maybe you've had a similar experience. Uh, if you had, uh, I can give you my sob story later if you're interested and you don't know, but maybe you've had a similar experience um, but one of the challenges I've found is um, that you just got to keep doing uh, what I, I know is going to help over and over and over and over again, right? You've got to, uh, over the long term, um, and not just, not just keep doing it, but keep progressing and doing more and more to get better. Um, it's, it's a real struggle, actually. Once you're at a certain level of recovery, if you've sort of been there, maybe you'll know this, you can just kind of start cutting corners a bit, uh, dropping off on what you know you need to do in order to get back to your proper strength. What's been really helpful for me to, is to have people like my physio say, look, you're doing really well. You're heading in the right direction, uh, but don't give up. <laughs> You've got to keep going. Uh, and here's the next exercise that you need to add in this week. You know, <laughs> don't just keep going. Um, increase. Well, that's, there's something like that that's going on in this part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. 
Um, except Paul's got a much bigger and more glorious goal in mind than just fixing up someone's back for a few years. Uh, he, ha- he, as good as that is, but Paul has this incredible vision of the future that God is working in this little church in Thessalonica. He's got this incredible vision. We read it back in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, uh, verse 13. It'll be up on the screen. <clears throat> this is his prayer for them. May he, may God, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Um, Paul's always got an eye on that great future that waits for God's people. When Jesus is going to return to judge and renew the world in life and peace, Uh, Over the next few weeks, we're going to focus in more on that. Paul really gets to um, talking about how that is going to shape life here and now in a really tangible way. Um, But Paul Paul knows that that future reality, that great goal that waits for God's people, it needs to shape life here and now. And it means that for for people who who belong to Jesus, um, it means that the big kind of banner over your life um, and the thing that's stamped on your heart, the desire that drives you, is to live in line with that great hope, that future reality of standing holy and blameless in the presence of God. Um, or as Paul puts it, we read it earlier in the start of chapter 4, of living in order to please God. And the encouraging thing, as Paul looks at this church as he's writing this letter, um, the really encouraging thing is that this gathering of Jesus' people, um, they are actually doing that. They're living that out. They are living not to please themselves. They are living to please God. Uh, they're not living to please other people or other things. They're living to please, that's, that's, that is the kind of banner that's over their life the thing that's stamped on their hearts. Um, there's so much to be thankful for, Paul knows, but he also knows that there's no room for complacency. And we looked at this a, a couple of weeks ago. You never get to the point in, in the Christian life of being able to say, right, so I've done my bit, I've had my religious phase, uh, now I can coast along a bit <laughs> you know, and, and start living for me. Um, so even, even though things are going well, Paul knows that they need they need to be urged to keep going. They need that urging to do this more and more. Verse 1, we read that. Now we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Uh, this is a, it's a major theme of this kind of part of the letter, this whole idea of you're going well. Um, uh, you are, it's, it's really encouraging to see the evidence of God's work in you. You're going well. Keep going. Do it more and more. Um, uh, uh, we've seen uh, over these, this little part of the letter, he's got two big areas of life in mind that he, he puts this into action. He talks about with this. We, we saw last week uh, how we live out our sexuality in ways that are in line with God's good design, in ways that are holy and honourable and good for us, ways that aren't self-centred and harmful and ultimately ways that fall under God's judgment. Um, he, he knows that they are doing well, but he knows that there's, again, no room to, for complacency. They need to keep going and do it more and more. 
living that out. And, but the second big area of life that Paul focuses in on here, he wants to highlight for these guys, he gets to in verse 9. So verse 9, Now about your love for one another. About your love for one another. And there's something actually... Um, we, we won't go this slow the whole way through, but uh, just pause there because there's something actually really wonderful in that little phrase that doesn't come across at first glance. If you have a different translation, you might, um, uh, uh, you might read something like now about your brotherly love or something like that, um, something similar. Uh, that's because the, the word here that's used, the original word, is a, is a word that meant love within a family. It, it meant love within a family, uh, between, uh, love between siblings, you know. Um, it wasn't used for other kinds of relationships. Um, uh, but Paul does something that it, the people reading this letter would have really pricked their ears up at this point. Um, he takes this idea of a special love that only existed within the natural bonds of a family. That's what this word was used for in the society, <laughs> He takes that idea of this special bond that's only, that exists in the natural bonds of a family uh, and he takes it and he applies it to these Christians, to this church. Um, uh, and you can see, uh, it kind of explains the way that this family language is used all through this passage, actually all through the whole letter. Um, it's not just... Uh, he's, he's not just being kind of warm or he's not just using it in an um, incidental way. It's, it's actually making a really significant point and it can be easy to miss how big this is. All the way through the New Testament there's this radical reframing of the idea of family. Our, our earthly families are good. Um, they're a wonderful gift from God. But if we put our faith in Jesus, we belong to another family. An eternal, actually a deeper family. We've been born again into God's family. And that identity is actually central to who we are. Even more central than our physical families. And a key way of living to please God is learning more and more how to love His family. Um, so before we go, it is worth pausing and just taking a moment to reflect on this massive claim. There is here, I think, uh, when you kind of dig under this, the, the way that this word is used, uh, there is, I think, a, a, a kind of subtle but real warning here against the idolatry of our earthly families. Uh, our, our families are one of, like I said, uh, they're one of God's greatest gifts and they should be treasured and loved and enjoyed and they come with holy responsibilities that we must carry out and that's good. Earthly families are wonderfully good but they're not God. They're not ultimate. God's greatest gifts uh, can actually become the most destructive idols when, they, when we put them in his place. At the very least, I think what Paul is saying here is that as deeply as you feel those bonds and responsibilities with your earthly family, that's kind of a sign of the sort of bonds and responsibilities that exist within God's family, God's eternal family. It's not a kind of either-or thing, although there will be times, uh, quite possibly, when God's 
family takes priority. But it's not, a, not an either or thing, it's a both end. Okay, and these, these Thessalonian Christians got that. They, they got that. Paul writes, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. And then he goes on to write to them about it. So what's going on there? I, I, I think all they're saying there is that this just isn't, it isn't just a new topic for them. Um, he's not telling them something completely new. This is what he's urged them to do when he was with them. It's basic to the Christian life. Um, he, he doesn't need to kind of write to them about it as if there's, it's a new, new thing. It, it, they know about it. They know about this um, love for one another. And the reason it's basic to the Christian life is what he goes on to say. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Um, right at the start of the letter, if you, know, you can flick back if you want, but right, right at the start of the letter in, in chapter 1, he calls these guys brothers and sisters loved by God. That's kind of the way he um, opens his letter when he starts to talk to them. Brothers and sisters loved by God. In his love, God has chosen them, he's saved them, he's brought them out of the idolatry that had enslaved them, he's brought them into real, full life under his good rule. Uh, Back in this chapter, we we read this last week, um, in verse 8 of our chapter, uh, God had given them his Holy Spirit, his his own personal presence in their lives to lead them and teach them to love each other like God had loved them. Part of the basic work of God's Spirit was to, was to do that, to teach them to love each other as they had been loved by God. And this isn't something that they need to make up themselves. It's not something they need to figure out. This unworldly love that exists in God's family comes from God himself. Uh, it's been poured out on them, into them through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And God has taught them to love one another. And when Paul looks at this church, this gathering of people gathered together in Thessalonica, he looks at them, he's really encouraged. Um, he sees this at work. They don't, they show, they're showing this kind of self-giving love for one another. And not just for each other um, in their own local gathering. You can see as you read on, uh, in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. That was the, the area they were in, the kind of region they were in. They were doing really well. But Paul knows, again, they need this urging and encouraging to keep going. And uh, not just to keep going, but to keep growing in their love for each other. Um, more and more. Um, you might, I don't know if you're familiar with this kind of idea, but there's... An, there's um, maybe those people who are, um, enjoy playing games or board games or something uh, will know what I'm talking about. Um, there's a thing called a zero-sum game. Uh, a zero-sum game is a kind of game where there's only a certain amount of points you can win, and if you win some, that means other people lose some, right? Like, there's, only a, there's a certain amount, uh, and when someone wins, other people lose. Um, the, uh, uh, a simple example of this, this is all I could think of because this is sort of the level of games that I play, um, is the game of Snap. Uh, there's a certain amount of cards and the per- person with the quickest hands and loudest shouts gets them all. 
and wins everything and the loser gets nothing, right? Uh, or another way you can think about it is kind of like eating a cake. Eating a cake is a zero-sum game. There's only so much to go around and if I get a bigger piece, that means that you necessarily get a smaller piece, right? Which is why cutting a cake is such a tense moment in our family. <laughs> Everyone's eyeing off the precise you know, angle to maximise your share. It's a zero-sum game. Um, it's possible to think of love like a zero-sum game, like that. Um, there's kind of this fixed amount of love to go around. And if I give some love here, it's, I've got to take it away from there. Um, do you notice, though, there's, there's actually a totally different view going on here. Uh, in Jesus, we have a never-ending, inexhaustible spring of love, a flood of God's love. It never ends. It's not a zero-sum game as if you kind of can need to sort of watch how much you give here in case you take away from there. There is, there is a never-ending love. And it, it never ends, and until that love is completely known and Jesus is all in all, the urging of the Apostle Paul here is for God's family to love each other more and more. To keep looking for ways to love each other. Um, but what we're going to keep going now. What, what Paul goes on to focus on, I think, is a little bit unexpected, though. Um, what does it look like to love each other? Not like a zero-sum game, but you know, in this in this kind of. What does it look like to love one another, like God has taught them to? Um, uh, it, at first glance, it looks a little bit like this. What Paul goes on to say in, in the next verse is a bit of a change of topic, and some Bibles actually will put it as, as a new sentence or a new paragraph. Um, it's more helpful, I think, what's on the screen in, in our Bibles and your pew in the Bibles you got in on the way in. Um, it's all actually a connected kind of idea. This next part, uh, but it seems a bit weird. Paul's going to say. Um, uh, um, Paul, what Paul's going on to say here is the same theme as what he's been talking about already. Uh, this is what love looks like in God's family. Verse 11. To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. It's a little bit odd, actually. Um, and I don't think Paul's here trying to say everything about what it means to love one another, but he is saying something very significant, and this is God's word to us today. Um, it's not necessarily where, where maybe you'd go to or I'd go to if we were talking about how to love each other. And there's this weird contrast there, right? He talks about ambition, to make it your ambition. You know, ambition gives you the sense of this driving purpose, this real kind of goal that you're striving towards. Uh, this thing that you long for and work for. But what is this ambition for? <laughs> to lead a quiet life. It's just a bit of an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It was when you put two things together that um, have seem to have opposite meanings, like clearly confused. Like that one? 
I'm clearly confused. It's my natural state. Um, act naturally. Okay, think about it. A deafening silence. Virtual reality. And just to have a dig at my PC friends, Microsoft works. Uh, he's using this kind of oxymoron here. Um, one writer has paraphrased what Paul's saying here by saying, uh, as saying, be ambitious to be non-ambitious. <clears throat> uh, it gets to something about it. It doesn't say everything, but I think it gets... Well, what this idea of leading a quiet life is, is getting at is it highlights an area of life that is actually, it can be actually devastating among church families. An area of life that can undermine genuine love. To lead a loud life, which is the opposite of a quiet life here, uh, to lead a loud life um, is to have an attitude among God's family of kind of self-entitlement, of self-fulfillment, to be driven by a need to be recognised, a need to have your gifts and your talents approved of. It's to be a person who has a high opinion of yourself and often a critical opinion of others and is always looking for opportunities to put yourself forward. And Paul uses this great oxymoron. He uses the language of ambition, you know. He uses the language of our ambition to, to sort of take the rug out, of, out from underneath the feet of, um, uh, of, of what he's talking about. He uses the language of ambition to redirect them. In your relationships in the church, don't be ambitious in your selfish ambition. Be ambitious. Have as your longing and goal to be humble, to be quiet, to be at peace, to be content, to be still. Friends, a community of ambitiously humble people is wonderfully fertile ground for deep, genuine gospel love. Uh, Paul fills it out more as he goes on. Um, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Uh, You see, this, this ambitiously quiet life isn't one that's always looking to inject itself into areas that aren't its responsibility. And very often we can go off track in our love when we think it looks like minding other people's business. Um, there's a great passage in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. If you're not familiar, get it and read it. It's great. Uh, he, he has this wonderful description, uh, sort of you know, cuts though, as he is very good at doing. Uh, he describes this character in his book. And he says, she's the, she's the sort of woman who lives for others. You can always tell the others by their hunted expression. You see, it's possible to convince ourselves we're loving others when really we're hunting them. Um, living to love one another as God has taught us means we'll actually have the humility and capacity to mind our own business. We'll know our own areas of responsibility. We'll focus our attention on them. Uh, We'll be on the lookout for that ever-present danger of gossiping 
of a critical spirit that talks about people behind their back, of trying to manipulate our way into some kind of influence. We just won't go there. Uh, We'll just refuse that kind of self-centered mindset. We'll be content to pay good and careful attention to our own business. And then Paul goes on in verse 11, and he says, this kind of love is also the kind of love that works with your own hands. Um, There's something right, you see what Paul's getting at here, there's something right here about hard work. Uh, In um, what he's talking about here is probably most likely manual labour, uh, is that that's on view? We're literally working with your own hands, but I, it crosses over to other kinds of work too. So it's just something more general about the value, the goodness of that kind of hard work. But there's something else going on here. Um, in the in the ancient Greek world that this is written into, um, uh, the manual labour was seen as something that the lower classes did. And so the aristocracy despised that kind of work and they wouldn't go there. And, but Paul's saying within this, this new family, within God's family of the church, uh, it can't be that way. In this family, there's no room for those kind of social barriers. Uh, it, may be, it may be that for some in this church, the Thessalonian church, living this ambitiously quiet, humble life meant putting aside those social conventions that uh, were outside the church family putting them aside, um, uh, putting aside their prejudice against manual labour if they were in that sort of more upper-class aristocracy. It meant the rich uh, kind of aristocracy serving alongside the poor slaves, stacking, church, stacking the chairs after church, you know, that kind of idea. Uh, and the... And the impact of all this, you read it in verse 12, the impact of this kind of a life is so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This this kind of community is full of ambitiously humble people. People who are content to pay attention to their own business and working with their hands, working side by side, crossing the kind of barriers that separate us otherwise, this kind of community is deeply attractive, actually, and it wins the respect of people. Um, and it also, it also, what Paul says right at the end there, it also protects us against an unhealthy dependence on other people. It's not talking about being too proud to receive help. There are, uh, we need to be able to receive help. Loving in God's family means receiving it as well as giving it, and as a, uh, that's all part and parcel of it. I think what's going on here, though, in this last little bit that Paul talks about is a kind of laziness that can creep in that, that seems to, some people in the Thessalonian church seems um, to be exhibiting... Uh, he goes in more on that into the, the next letter that he writes, but a kind of laziness that takes advantage of other people and their generosity. Um, that, I think that's what he's getting at there, that we won't be dependent on anyone. Well, it, Paul paints what I think is actually a really beautiful picture of this community-gathered, loving one another. 
God's family, brothers and sisters, united in Christ, loving each other like God has taught us to, uh, this kind of hard-working, humble, attractive community is what will keep us from the destructive force of selfish ambition, um, of arrogant prejudice against those who come from different groups. It'll keep us from that. It'll, and more positively, it'll enable us actually to love to do what Paul's urging us to do: to love one another more and more, to overflow with God's unending love to us. Paul is very positive about the Thessalonians, how they've, how they've been loving each other. Um, I, my hope, my, I'm pretty confident, actually, it's certainly my experience, I'm pretty confident, I hope certainly that it's yours, that um, he'd be the same with us, actually, with our church. Um, the gospel produces this kind of love, and I think it's all around us. And praise God for that. Um, as a leadership of the church, we're always trying to get better at leading the way and, and thinking through like how we can set structures up to facilitate that kind of love together as we keep growing. Um, but at its heart, that's, gospel, that's not gospel love. At its heart, um, gospel, real gospel love comes from each of us sinking deeply into the reality of God's love for you. The reality of his love for us. Letting that then overflow to each other. It's happening, friends. And praise be to God for it. Uh, and God's word to you is to urge you to do it more and more. Don't buy into a zero-sum game idea of love. To keep going. Um, a couple of suggestions I wanted to make. This is... Um, to maybe put some legs on this for us. Uh, I, I, one practical way that this can work out is just to commit yourself to gathering with your church family as a steady, regular, unchanging priority in your life. Not in a kind of fearful, anxious way. You know, we don't come to church to prove ourselves or to earn favour with God. But because this is who you are in Christ... You are part of God's family and his family is expressed in local congregations of his people, local gatherings. And this family gathers together, just like any family. We, gather, we get together to eat, we feed on God's word together. That's, uh, that's kind of um, something that I know many of us do and friends do that more and more. Keep going at it. And be careful about those good things that can take God's place too. Um, those things that uh, can take our eyes away from the wonder of what is going on in the family of God. What is happening here by God's grace in, in his spirit as we gather together around his word is more precious and eternal and real than... All of those other good things that ask for our attention all the time. Uh, it is encouraging to see this at work here. So many stories of people actually doing this, of knowing the, the wonder of God's church, living it out, um, committing 
ourselves to gathering together under God's word. So friends, keep going. Do it more and more. Um, if you know that this for you is an area about which you can't say that is true for you, I want to urge you to please hear God's word today. How you relate to his family matters deeply to God. And if you have been loved by him, then he teaches you to love his family too. Um, But the picture here, of course, isn't just of being together. It is of that, but it's also being together in humble, hard-working, practical, hands-on love. Um, It may be for you that there are ways that you can put that into action, um, formal ways that you can serve in our church's ministry teams, but also informal ways. Again, not in a forced way and recognising all of our different capacities and um, where we're all coming from. Not in a forced way, not in a fearful way, but in a way that seeks to love one another more and more. Not to see love as a zero-sum game, but um, as we're able and as we're led by God to love each other more and more in this way. Um, It's hard, isn't it? We live such frantic lives with so many pressures. But by God's grace, he teaches us and a wonderful promise here. God teaches us this. Um, and he'll show you how you can do it. And one of the ways the Thessalonians did it was to love other Christians. Did you notice that as we read through? To love, they, they loved Christians all around the region. There's lots of ways that can play out uh, for us, especially in our network and also beyond that. One way I just wanted to highlight quickly um, is this really helpful resource. We've got a whole bunch of these um, you can pick up. It's produced by an organisation called the Barnabas Fund. Um, it's, an organ- it's a resource that um, goes through uh, countries around the world where Christians are persecuted, where your brothers and sisters are persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. Um, uh, it'll go through and give you some information so that you can be informed about them. It'll help you to pray for them. Um, just a really helpful resource. There's a whole stack of them out on the table. Please grab one. It's just one practical way that you can put this into action, (laughs) that you can love your brothers and sisters. Just lastly, friends, it may be that you're one of those um, men talked about here um, uh, who are still outside of Christ. Someone, you you may know that you're someone who hasn't yet placed your trust in Jesus. Um, My hope is that as you've kind of engaged with our community here, that you've tasted something of this in our church family in some kind of small, imperfect way, but a real way. I hope you've been able to see this kind of unworldly love at work in our church. That kind of stumbling, incomplete love is like a vague reflection of the perfect and unending love of God for his people and for his world. Uh, And that is the love that you can experience, that you can receive, that is offered to you today, now. The love that sent Jesus to die on the cross in order to rescue you from slavery to idols, to worthless idols that can never deliver. 
the love that rescues us from the coming wrath, the love that if you will receive it, will fill you up and will start to overflow in your life. Come and pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, may we never lose the wonder of what it means to be brothers and sisters loved by you, brought into your family, not because we deserve it, but because of your amazing grace. Lord, we pray that you might teach us, continue to teach us to love one another in a way that honours you, in a way that seeks to please you. We pray that we will love one another more and more, that we will make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, that we should mind our own business and work with our hands just as the Apostle tells us and that in our daily life that this kind of way of living together might be deeply attractive and win the respect of people. That you might use that, Lord. Um, Even today, use the love that we share here as a, as a way of seeing your love for us. Um, Lord, uh, we pray that you might help us by your spirit. We thank you for your spirit that teaches us to love one another and please give us insight as we th- continue to think this through and think of ways that we can do this more and more and to put it into action. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.